Thank you so much for that prayer this morning, Roger. Well, if you have a Bible with you, I'd like you to turn to John chapter 14, and we're going to look at the very last section this morning of John chapter 14, and that is verses 25 through 31. John chapter 14, verses 25 through 31. But before I get into the sermon this morning, I want to make a couple of comments. First of all, as Pastor Chad mentioned in his opening announcements, our missions conference, our month-long missions conference begins next Sunday. So um, next Sunday morning, we are going to have our opening flag ceremony. We didn't have one last year because of COVID. So we've taken a year off and we're coming back to that. And what we're going to do next Sunday morning is we're, the opening ceremony, flag ceremony is going to take about 30 minutes. And then I am going to preach a world missions message next Sunday morning. So the flag ceremony, my message, then we'll have a closing song, and then we'll go immediately from here to the International Eth Ethnic Potluck in the gym. If you haven't signed up for that, please make sure that you do. And if you're newer here at First Baptist, maybe you've just started coming within the last year, we are serving communion this morning. You may have noticed in the past we do that on the first Sunday of every month, but we don't this month uh, because of the missions conference. So we move it back to the last Sunday in February for this one time because of the missions conference. And so to prepare our hearts to take together the Lord's Supper, we are going to look at this section of the Gospel of John, verses 25 through 31 of chapter 14. Last Sunday morning, we learned, or Jesus taught us about the helper, another helper. He is our main helper, but the Father is sending another helper, the Spirit of Truth, the Holy Spirit. And Jesus was teaching his disciples that at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out and in beginning at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is now going to indwell believers at the time of their salvation. It will all begin then. And when the Holy Spirit comes to live, to dwell in you, Jesus, by means of the Holy Spirit, comes to live in you. And because Jesus lives in you, the Father is always with you as well. And that brings us to our section this morning. In John chapter 14, verses 25 through 31, we read what Jesus says. And again, just to remind you, Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. This is Thursday night. He's going to be crucified on Friday. John chapters 13 through 17 comprise what is known as the upper room discourse. And so he is teaching his disciples before he leaves. And he says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. 
If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you, before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Well, our first point this morning is my peace. Jesus continues to teach his disciples about the role of the Helper, the Holy Spirit. In verse 25, he says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. We have seen throughout chapters 13 and 14 that Jesus is helping them, guiding them, because he is about to leave. He is about to leave shortly. Everything's about to change. Nothing will be the same again. And so he says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. In verse 26, he says, But the Helper, and here he is again, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. We learned last week that the Father was going to send the paraclete, the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, and he would live in us, and he would be with us forever. And now we see another role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a teacher. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, notice that the Father will send, the Father sends the Spirit in the name of the Son. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. This verse has intrigued Bible students for many years. And I think there are different vantage points from which this verse can be understood. First of all, he says, He will teach you all things, the Holy Spirit, and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I think there is one vantage point to this where he is speaking to the 11 disciples, the 11 apostles. Remember, Judas Iscariot is now gone. He's gone to be the betrayer. But he says to the 11, the Holy Spirit is going to teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. These 11 men are going to play an absolutely key role in the writing of the New Testament. John is there. The Apostle John is there. He is the writer of this gospel, which we are still learning from and taking advantage of. John will also write 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Revelation. Matthew is there. Matthew will write a gospel. Luke and Mark, in their gospels, draw heavily from the apostles. Mark draws especially from the apostle Peter. All of the New Testament writers draw heavily from the 11 apostles who were eyewitnesses and considered carefully their accounts. That's one vantage point. Another vantage point is that Jesus is saying... He, the Holy Spirit, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Jesus is going, or excuse me, the Holy Spirit is going to clarify for them 
all these things that Jesus has been teaching them. We have seen, haven't we, over the last month or two, that the disciples are glad for what Jesus is teaching, but they're confused. Most of them still didn't understand that Judas Iscariot was going to be the betrayer or why Jesus had to be betrayed. Jesus said to them, I am going away, and where I am going, you cannot come. And they didn't fully understand that. He said, in my Father's house are many rooms, and I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to be with me. And you know the place, or you know the way to the place where I am going. And Thomas said, Lord, We don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Judas, not Iscariot, the other Judas among the eleven, says, if you're going to manifest yourself, we just saw this last week, if you're going to manifest yourself to the world, excuse me, if you're going to manifest yourself to us, why not manifest yourself to the whole world? You see, they don't fully understand But one day they will. When Pentecost happens, Acts chapter 2, and the Holy Spirit comes like tongues of fire and rests upon them, and the Holy Spirit indwells them and becomes their teacher, all of this is going to make sense to them. All of this is going to come together, and not only these things, but the fact that Jesus had to die, had to rise again, and had to ascend to the right hand of the Father. That's a second vantage point. And then there is a third vantage point to this verse, and that is the Holy Spirit continues to teach us all things and bring to our remembrance the things that Jesus has said. This is called in Christian theology the doctrine of illumination. One of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to illuminate the Word of God for us. It is the Holy Spirit that helps us to understand the Bible. Non-believers do not have the Holy Spirit. They cannot and do not understand Scripture the way we do. We need to rely on and trust in the Holy Spirit as we read the Bible, as we study the Bible. And those times in the Bible when all of a sudden that proverbial light bulb goes off and you say, I get that. Or I see how this verse connects with that verse and with that verse and with that verse. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is teaching you every single day as you read the Word of God. Well, in the midst of all of this, in the midst of all of this teaching, Jesus gives us one of the most precious promises we have as Christians. One of the most precious gifts that Jesus gives to us at the time of our salvation is his peace. In verse 27, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Oh, this one verse, John 14, 27, has brought comfort and strength to God's people for centuries centuries. Jesus says, peace I live, leave with you, my peace I give to you. Folks, this is not something brand new that he just conjured up. It's his peace. The triune God, the time of your salvation gives you his peace. 
This is a supernatural peace that is yours in Christ. And he says, not as the world gives do I give to you. The world cannot experience this. They don't have this. The world can say to you, go in peace or be at peace. Or they can say to us, you know, you need to have a good retirement savings. You need to have good insurance policies so that you can have peace of mind. And they can tell us, you know, it's good to go take a walk in the woods or just be quiet at home so that you can experience peace. And there's some truth to that. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. He is talking about a supernatural peace that only God's children have. And it is explained here. This peace says to our souls, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You know what this peace is? This is the peace of God in the fiercest storms of life. This is the peace of God, not just when things are going well, but when you are going through the worst possible circumstances that you could possibly go through on this earth. My peace will be yours. The, these 11 men are about to experience the most excruciating time of their lives. And you go through physical, mental, emotional suffering. When you have a crisis enter your life, he promises let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I could give you no better example of this, no better illustration of this this morning than what our brothers and sisters in Christ living in Ukraine are going through right now. Right now. Their country is being bombed. Their country is being invaded. Many of them are fleeing to shelters. And yet, in the midst of that, Jesus says to them, Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Why? Because it isn't dangerous? No, it's very dangerous. But I'm with you through every part of this, through every moment, every second of this. I am right there with you. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15, the Apostle Paul says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. You know what we are? We are the thankful body of Christ who is to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. This is a command to us. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. But something has to happen before we can experience that peace, and that's our second point this morning. Jesus is going away. After Jesus' death and resurrection, his departure from earth and ascent to heaven is the best thing that could happen to the disciples and to us. And that's what he's trying to get them to understand. I'm going to leave. I'm going to be crucified I'm going to rise from the dead. I'm going to ascend to my Father in heaven. 
then that's the best thing that could ever happen to you. Do you know why? Because when I ascend to heaven, I'm going to send the Helper, the Holy Spirit, and he's going to come and indwell you. And by means of the indwelling Holy Spirit, I'm going to live in you. And because I live in you, the Father will always be with you. I won't just be physically with you in one location. I will live in you and I will be with you anytime, everywhere, all the time. It's the best thing that could ever happen to you. And so in verse 28, he says, You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced. Because I am going to the Father. Men, if you truly understand this, you would have been filled with joy. Because this is the best thing that could ever happen to you. I am going away. But really, I am coming. We need to know that. He was going away, but he was also going to be coming. And in that very last phrase of verse 28, he says, For the Father is greater than I. I want to pause here just for a moment. Because that little phrase, For the Father is greater than I, has been used by false teachers for hundreds of years to say that Jesus is not fully God. To say the Father is God, but Jesus is a lesser being, not fully God, and that's not at all what he's saying here. We need to understand once again this morning a very fundamental teaching of the Christian faith, of biblical Christianity. Our God is a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. One God in three persons. They are one in nature, one in essence. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all equally God. But within the Trinity, they have different roles. They have different roles. And in that sense, one can be greater than the other. The Father is greater than the Son. The Son is greater than the Spirit. You see, the Father is the very image of God, the manifestation always of God's glory. The Father sent the Son into the world. The Son was humiliated. Philippians 2 says he became nothing, took on the very nature of a servant, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He was the humiliated person of the Trinity for our salvation. In that sense, the Father is greater than the Son because the Son will go back to the glory of the Father. There's a sense in which the Son is greater than the Spirit because the Spirit always points us to the Son. The Spirit doesn't want attention focused on Him. He wants all the attention on the exalted, crucified, risen, glorified Son. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. That's what he means when he says, for the Father is greater than I. And in verse 29, he says, and now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. Jesus said this continually throughout these last couple of chapters. I'm telling you ahead of time. I'm telling you ahead of time so that when it takes place, you may believe. So when they're sitting in that upper room in Acts chapter 2 and the tongues of fire, the Holy Spirit comes to rest upon them, and then the Holy Spirit begins to indwell believers at the time of their conversion, at the time of their belief, they look back and say, remember, he told us. He told us this would happen. Jesus is guiding everything that's happening. 
And that leads us to the last part of this section. In a powerful close to this section of Scripture, Jesus reminds us that he is in complete control of all the events that are about to take place. And I want you to marvel at that this morning. I want you to bask in that, if you will. Last week we basked in his presence. I want you to bask in the fact that he is in complete control of everything that's about to take place. In verses 30 and 31, he says, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. I want to start backwards and work back. I want to just look at that last phrase, rise, let us go from here, because that has been a point of controversy. You may say, why is that a controversial phrase? It's a controversial phrase for some Bible students. I don't think it should be, but it is, because Jesus says, rise, let us go from here, and they don't actually rise and go from there until chapter 18. So we got chapters 15, 16, and 17 yet to go, and he says, rise, let us go from here. How do we reconcile that? I don't think it's as complicated as people try, want to make it to be. Remember that chapters 13 through 17 are one conversation. It's the Passover supper that becomes the Lord's supper. They are talking together. It, we're, we're looking at this in little sections, but it's one conversation that night. And when Jesus says, rise and let us go from here, he then continues to teach. It's something actually that's quite common here in Western culture. Let's say that you and your family have gone to someone's house. And you've talked for quite a while, and then the husband says to the wife, or the wife says to the husband, you know, I think it's time to go. Uh, you know, we better get going. And a half hour later, you leave. You know, that's happened to all of us. You know, it's time to go, and then you talk and talk, and then you finally do go. And it's something like that that's happening here. And again, as one writer pointed out, Chapters 15, 16, and 17, if you were to read them just at a regular reading speed, it would take you about 10 to 12 minutes to read. So this isn't long. It looks long to us, but it isn't. And so I don't think this is as big a deal as some people make it out to be. But what I want you to focus on as we go to communion this morning is this. Jesus says, for the ruler of this world is coming. In the upper room with his disciples, he says, Men, Satan's coming. He is coming. And remember, as they're talking and eating in the upper room, all these events are taking place outside for the betrayal, arrest, and crucifixion of Christ. Judas Iscariot is coming. Satan has already entered into him. The temple soldiers are coming to arrest him. He is going to be falsely accused and falsely charged by the Jewish Sanhedrin. He is going to be mocked. He is going to be beaten, and he is going to be crucified. And then Satan is coming. Satan is coming. But then he says this, he has no claim on me. No claim on me. I am totally innocent. He has no charges against me, no accusations that he can make against me. I am completely holy. I am completely pure. Everything will be false. Everything will be a lie. But I will accomplish my Father's purposes. So he says, but I do. 
but I do as the Father has commanded me. Let every person here know we are about in the Gospel of John to enter the darkest hour of human history. But Jesus is in complete control of all the events that are about to happen. Satan is not in charge. Judas Iscariot is not in charge. Pontius Pilate is not in charge. Herod is not in charge. The Jewish ruling leaders are not in charge. The Roman soldiers are not in charge. Praise God, Jesus is in charge. And he deliberately, intentionally, and with divine power goes to meet his enemies head on. And he does it for our salvation. And he ultimately does it for the glory of God. So we go to communion. I want you to dwell on two verses. Two verses that we looked at a couple of months ago or a few months ago. John 10, verses 17 and 18. Jesus says this. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Now watch this. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus said, the ruler of this world is coming He has no claim on me, but I do, as the Father has commanded me. At this time, we're going to share the Lord's Supper together. If you're new here this morning, one of our deacons will pray for both the bread and the cup. The deacons will hand out the bread and cup together, and when everyone has been served, Then I will read a passage of scripture, and then we will eat and drink together. If you're watching by live stream this morning, we want you to use this time uh, when the deacons are serving communion as a time of meditation and reflection. So at this time, we will share communion together.